that we can worship you and, and learn more about you, Lord. Be with Ben as he brings uh, your word to us this morning, Lord, and help us to go out and, and be lights in the, in the community that we live. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tanner. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Last week we started 1 Corinthians. We made it all the way to verse 4. So today we'll finish uh, through verse 9, Lord willing. The Apostle Paul is the author of, of Corinthians. Him and he mentions a man named Sosthenes who we learned uh, last week looking at Acts probably uh, was a, an unbeliever during Acts, but somehow was uh, at some point was converted to Christianity and now is helping Paul write this letter. He, he probably was Paul's secretary penning it while Paul talked. And Paul's writing to this church at Corinth. It's this church that Paul planted. It's this church that Paul spent about a year and a half at, discipling, growing, pouring into these people. And it's this group of people that for some reason Paul loves, even though they're a bunch of knuckleheads. And we'll see as we get through the letter that they just do some stuff that just doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of times when they're sorting through these things. And so we know that Paul has heard from uh, people who have been in Corinth that are now, at, uh, Paul when he writes this is probably in Ephesus. And so they're seeing Paul and they're like, do you hear what's happening at First Baptist Corinth? It is crazy. And they're giving him these reports. We know that the Corinthians wrote a letter to Paul. And Paul replied back. This is not the first letter Paul's written to them. It's just the one that, that is in the Bible. It's the one that is the word of God that's inerrant and fallible. And so there's been this correspondence. There's this deep care, this deep concern that Paul has for this church and that this church has for Paul. But it's a unique relationship because they're still knuckleheads. There's still these sinners that go on through. And so we saw some of that in the greeting with Paul. We're going to get to a good chunk of that in the Thanksgiving. And then really next week is when we kind of get into the heart of the letter. I love the book of Corinthians because it's very, very practical. Some of our favorite passages as American Christians come from 1 Corinthians. Uh, the wedding passage, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. That passage is in Corinthians. And here's a spoiler alert. It's not about a wedding ceremony in the context of the scripture. It's about the church. Uh, what we just read with the Lord's Supper, I don't know if you caught that. That's from 1 Corinthians. The, the clearest explanation of what the Lord's Supper is and what it isn't is in 1 Corinthians. If you ever heard the passage, it's one of my, my favorites, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to those who are being saved. That's in 1 Corinthians. It's an interesting book, and it's an interesting letter because they're dealing with kind of these theological things, and where it's playing out in their lives is just this really practical, where the rubber meets the road, applications that Paul is going to walk us through and give to us. Have you, or maybe, uh, <laughs> I've often told people my mouth is quicker than my brain. And I, with my tongue, I have a, my brother and I, we, there's two of us, and, and we grew up with a single mom, and so we're very protective of her. And so Brett was a center, he's taller than me, he's bigger than me, he's stronger than me, not as good looking, but close. He was always kind of the physical presence. He's my younger brother too, I'm the older brother. Mine was always words. I'll hurt you with words, but it's going to be from afar, probably on a phone call where I'm a safe distance away. 
So backhanded comment like compliments, I'm really, really good at. I don't know if you've ever received any. Uh, my kids, I think, have inherited this from their mother. Where we'll get on to them and we'll say, you need to say something nice to your sister. Um, or you know, Canon can't really do a whole lot yet. So we're like, say something nice to your sister. And they'll be like, well, I really like it when you share your toys. And I don't really like it when you don't share your toys. Which is just a way of saying, share your toys with me. <laughs> okay, all right, Gabby, we heard you. That's what's been interesting to me in this passage that Paul is doing is it's if, if you know the Bible, if you know your letters, a little trick, uh, n- not a trick, it's just a pattern that kind of helps us understand the way the Apostle Paul wrote in almost every letter in the New Testament. It has this same pattern that it goes with you. You have this introduction, you have this I so-and-so write to so-and-so. We saw it with Peter. Peter, an apostle, writes to these elect exiles that have been dispersed. We see it with Paul. Paul called an apostle by Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Sosthenes to the church at Corinth. This is a structure and a pattern that happens almost in all of the New Testament letters. Right after that introduction is what's always called this Thanksgiving section. Corinth and Galatians, both are churches that Paul is very frustrated with. And he still finds ways to give thanks for them. Now, what we're going to see in the Thanksgiving this morning is it's a little bit of a backhanded thank you. Or or not thank you. It's a little bit of a backhanded gratitude, right? Paul is going to be grateful for what God is doing in the Corinthians. It's not for the Corinthians. It's, I'm grateful God's grace is not bigger than your sin, you sinners at Corinth, is basically what Paul's going to end up saying. And it's this interesting pattern for us. And then after that, what we see is the meat of all of the letters. Almost immediately after the Thanksgiving, in almost all of Paul's letters, you can take that sentence, that verse, and that's almost always your theme verse for whatever Paul is writing through. It kind of gives you the main idea that he's thinking with. And then at the very end, Paul will finish with some condolences. He often mentions all these random people that send you greetings or so-and-so send you greetings, and then he's done with his letters. And so this morning, we're going to walk through the Thanksgiving, so let's read it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, then we'll pray and we'll walk verse by verse through this thing. I, that's Paul, always thank my God for you, that's the church at Corinth, because of the grace God has given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him and in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge, in this way the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as eagerly Uh, spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ he will also strengthen you in the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful and you were called to him uh, called by him into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord let's pray Father as we walk through this passage And what so often in these letters that that you had Paul write or whoever else write, we quickly just read through these and we skim through these to get to the heart of the letter. Help us to remember, God, that this is just as much your word as the other letters are, the other words are. That this is for us too. God, help us to recognize that in anyone we can be grateful any place that we can be grateful that your grace is great that the gifts that you give us are great 
and help us to glorify you this morning as we walk through this passage. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to do uh, just a straight up verse by verse this morning on this one. So First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Now there's a lot of things happening here. It may not look like it on the surface, but what we see is a verb that's going to dictate the rest of this section that we're reading. Paul says, I always thank my God for you. That right there, that little sentence, that little phrase, everything else is fleshing out why Paul is thanking God for this church at Corinth. And the, and the aspect that's used with this verb is it's not a one-time like, thank you for this. It's something that Paul is continuously doing. Over and over. And so Paul is thankful for the Corinth, but did you catch the backhanded compliment? This is where I, I just, I, Paul and I would get along, I guess. I thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. He thanks God that the, God, the Corinthians cannot out God's grace. This is Paul's way of, of easing this conversation. Remember, the Corinthian church had a lot of issues, and we're going to walk through a lot of those issues when we walk through this little letter. They had a lot of things that were going wrong. They had all sorts of struggles. Paul had heard about all the problems. The Corinthians had written to them. Paul wrote back, and then what we'll see is the Corinthians took Paul's first letter that he wrote to him, and they twisted it to say what they wanted it to say, so they didn't really have to follow after his letter. And so this is Paul's way of easing into the conversation by saying, this is not a friendly letter for you. I'm grateful to God for you because God's grace is greater than your sin, but we're about to get into the heart and to the crux of what's been going on. This is like for us, we can be grateful that God's grace can cover all of the sins of Westbrook. Amen? The pagans over there. If you're going to have a school, why a cat mascot? It makes no sense, so we know who would do that. We can be grateful for God's grace over Hermley, amen? That's a lot of grace. We can recognize in people that we may not like or, or places that we may not like or things that we don't like that even in those times and even those situations and those circumstances, it may not be a town like we can make fun of Hermley and Westbrook because they always have to look up to us because we're just that much greater than they are. But there may be genuine people in your life that you do not like. And there may be genuinely people who do not like you. And we can be grateful that in God's grace, we can still be grateful for them. We can be thankful. We can be thankful that all of this is given to us in Christ Jesus. What we're going to see in this Thanksgiving is that almost every single verse, Paul draws it back to Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Grace means unmerited favor. It's something that cannot be earned. It must be given and it must be freely received. To get it any other way is not grace. If you can earn grace, that's not grace. It's a work. Grace is a gift that you cannot earn given to us in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 5. That you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and knowledge, all knowledge. This is interesting. 
Paul is writing to a church that is struggling with a lot of things. And in two of the biggest struggles that this church has, it's in what they say and it's in what they think they know. So what Paul is doing in the very beginning of this letter is saying, you're going to, like, he gets that there's a gift that is speech, right? All speech, this meaning all the proclamation that's taking point. So the spiritual gift section is in here, uh, in Corinthians, talking about prophesying, talking about all sorts of different things that still gets misconstrued and still gets taken away. And what Paul is saying is the gifts are good. How you receive them and how you use them has been askewed. So he's thankful to God that the church was enriched in all ways, which means that God gives his church exactly what you need, nothing more, nothing less. That you have what you need. And then he specifically dives into you have all of these speeches, these these people who can proclaim the gospel. What we'll start seeing next week is that they start listing off all of these pastors who are really good at preaching, uh, except Paul's like, I'm a pretty boring preacher. But outside of that, it's Peter, it's Apollos, it's Jesus. They're naming off all of these guys that they listened to that they had the Lord had brought to them to proclaim the word to them. But then they took those gifts and boasted in them as opposed to being humbled by them. We see it with knowledge where Paul's going to talk about, like, it's not how smart you are that matters, right? The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. And so it's Paul's subtle way of saying the giver, the gifts that you've received from God are good. But the gifts don't outweigh the giver. Now, in other thanksgivings and other letters that Paul has written, he's grateful for other churches, but what he always, almost almost always, except for 1 Corinthians, what he says is he's grateful for the love that they showed or the hope that they have or the faith that they have. He does not say that about the Corinthians. It's telling. Right? It's Paul's subtle way of saying these things are good, but you've misconstrued them into something that's not good. Verse 6, in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. All right, so, so maybe your translation says witness instead of testimony. So, so what Paul is saying is, right, there's been God's grace that's been lavishly given to you. That's why he's grateful for you is because of this grace of God that's given to you, that you were enriched in this grace because of all of the speech that was given, because all of this knowledge that God has blessed you with, that has given you these Things and now this testimony was was confirmed, meaning like shown, like this is true. You have these things. What baffles my mind the more I read First Corinthians and the more I study it and think about the people is these are Christians that we're talking about. That's how Paul recognizes these people. You have been confirmed as a believer in Jesus Christ that your church is a church that may not be healthy, but it's a church of Jesus nonetheless that has been given these gifts that if you receive like this these speech, if you have proclamation of the gospel, if you have this knowledge of the Lord, you have this grace that's been given to the people in these churches, then you're a Christian church with Christians that are inside of it. This has been confirmed that this gospel is being spread and is being told amongst you because of these things. It's Paul's way of saying Jesus is enough. Because look at what he says in verse 7. 
right in, in verse 6. In this way, the testimony about Christ Jesus was confirmed among you, verse 7, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's this idea that God has given the church what she needs. That if you're a member, that if you're a believer, if you're somebody who's coming, that God has equipped you and placed you here, that the church is incomplete when you're gone and is more fully complete when you're here. That you need the church and that the church needs you. And that we grow together. God provided the church at Corinth every single thing that they need. Their problem was they simply didn't use what God had given them very well. And he's going to elaborate more on, on what's going on at the, the church as we go on, but it's, it's worth noting. There's this hint here that we shouldn't be seeking like these extra gifts that God may give. There's some strains of theology that will teach you that, that once you're saved and you go seek out these other, these special gifts that God will give you. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is you've already received those gifts. You don't like any spiritual gift. And then Paul flips it, right? So everything has been passed. He's grateful for them for the grace that God has shown them. He's grateful for them that they were enriched in Jesus Christ by having this, this speaking, by having this knowledge that this testimony was confirmed. All of that is passed, and then Paul flips it, and he says the reason you have all of those things is because something is coming in the future that you need to be ready for and that God is preparing you for. So when he says the revelation of Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. That you have all of these things, that they're meant to build you up, that they're meant to equip you, that they're meant to grow you, that they're meant to sanctify you, to save you if you're an unbeliever, to prepare you for Jesus Christ's second coming when he comes back. So essentially what Paul is telling this church, just in this Thanksgiving, is you have not stewarded what God has given you very well. That he has given you every single thing that you need. The issue is not that you're lacking. The issue is that you're not utilizing. That you're poor stewards. When we think of stewardship, we often think of our finances. But God has given us so much more than that. He's given us time. He's given us talents. He's given us desires. He's given us families. He's given us all sorts of things. Anything that we have, we are called, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, to steward those things for God's good. For our good, for God's glory. Right, so there's no like thing we're missing. The gospel's enough. Jesus is enough. That's Paul's theme in this Thanksgiving. He's grateful for this church because they're reminding Paul that Jesus is enough. They've got their issues. They've got their problems. They're struggling. But Jesus is enough. He's going to come back. And at that second coming, guess what you need? Jesus. He's enough. Paul's trying to get the people to see is if we can shift our focus from the present and the past to what the Lord is doing, then it changes how we live in the present. 
if we understand that this life is not all that there is, if we understand that Christ is coming back, if we understand the grace that's been lavished to us is going to carry us on into an eternity future, we sang 10,000 reasons earlier. If we understand all of those things, then it changes how we live in the present because the present is simply a moment. Well, eternity is a long time. And so we see that Christ has given all of these gifts. He's, he's strengthened you, uh, or he's, he's given these gifts to the church for a purpose and for a reason. It's twofold. He's given these gifts to the church to share the gospel with the lost and dying. We've talked about this several times, but the Lord has placed you and I in Ira or Scurry County or wherever in our little sphere where we're at for a purpose and for a reason. It's not a mistake that we're here, and it's not an accident. It's not like God was like, I don't know what to do with these people. Let's flick them to the middle of nowhere and hope that they don't name a town. And so we didn't. We named him community. No. That God has placed us here for a purpose and for a reason. And God has given us things that we are talent. He's given us these gifts. One of the things that confused me this week when I was studying and I hadn't ever done it before is, is the word for grace and the word for gifts are linked together. They're almost identical in the Greek. There's just a slight variation that takes place. They're meant to be, most meant to be seen together. That just as we receive grace, we receive these gifts that God has given us. Now listen, some of our gifts are not, and we'll get into it as we get in there. I'm not a, a believer. There's all these crazy things that we're doing. I think that God has equipped you, that you like to do what you like to do, that he's pressing you for all of these things, for his good and for his glory. The problem we have with gifts is we like to make them individual. We like to take ourselves and to pluck ourselves away and say, God has given me this gift, so I'm going to go and do this by myself. But that's not what the Lord has given these gifts for. To share the gospel with the lost and to disciple the found. To build up the body of Christ. We saw last week when we looked at the conversion of Paul, when Paul was off persecuting Christians, Jesus shows up to him on the road to Damascus, and what does Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Why are you persecuting First Baptist Church of Damascus? He says, me. We see in Revelation, if you look at Revelation, at the very beginning when Jesus is talking about like the, the torches and the lights and that, are, that are in the middle of the, the lampstands, what we see Jesus doing, it's a slight nuance, but it's so important for us to see. He's talking about these lampstands, which he tells us are the churches. And do you know where Jesus is at in Revelation chapter 1? In the middle of the lampstands with his churches. That he has given us everything that we need to strengthen us, to grow us, to help us to evangelize, to help us to disciple one another. Verse 8. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word strengthen is is almost identical to the word confirmed. That he keeps you. That if we're believers in Jesus Christ, if we've repented of our sin, if we've turned to Christ in faith and God has saved us, then we are kept to the end and through the end. 
that we will sin and we will mess up and we will struggle. And we can look at this church in Corinth as a prime example of believers who went off track and were doing things that were terrible and that were wrong, but God keeps them through the end of their believers in Jesus Christ. Now, we may be prodigals and we may be running and living in the pigsty, chasing after everything of the world, and we need to repent from that and turn back to Christ, but that doesn't make us any less a son or a daughter of the king. And the Bible also tells us blameless is what the Lord will make us. Not sinless yet, blameless. That when we are saved, Christ justifies us in that moment. We are counted sinless. We're not like we still sin, we still struggle, right? Any believers figured out how to stop sinning? But we're counted blameless by God. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of the great grace that God gives us through Jesus Christ. That he strengthens us. And remember verse 7, Paul had flipped it. It was past tense and now it's future, right? It was, he had strengthened us. Paul was grateful for all the things that happened in the past. And now he's grateful, he's thankful for these Christians to remind him that Christ is coming back again. And that he strengthens you, that he holds you, that he keeps you, that he confirms you through that. That we can be sure, we can have assurance of salvation. We're not left wondering what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. We had a group uh, years ago, back when I was a JV pastor or a youth pastor, as many people call it. No, that's what, uh, that's what I felt like. Anywho, uh, we took a group of students to this foreign land uh, on a mission trip, Fort Worth. And we did, um, it was a mission trip, and it was an, an, an interesting mission trip, and it's one they still do, and it's one for us worth looking into taking our kids to. But what they did was there was a, a, an apartment complex that had been set up that ended up being a refugee resettlement complex. And so all of the families that were here were families that most of them, when we started talking to them, were people who helped the U.S. military when they were in their homelands, and then when they got invaded by whatever place they were brought into America, in this refugee status. And so we took our youth to this place and we began uh, walking around getting to talk to all these people from all of these different countries. So uh, Morgan talked to some kids from Korea. Uh, we talked to, uh, I talked to a kid from Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan in like the same conversation. Um, all of them almost are whatever religion you think their country is, that's what they were here. And the only reason they would talk to us is because they're trying to learn English. And so we're sharing the gospel, we're talking to these kids, we're doing these things. Well, part of one of the things that we did with this trip was we took our youth to a mosque, uh, to go to a Muslim mosque. And what they did, they have an imam, that's what's called like their pastor there. And so we sit our kids down, and he kind of gives the spill for what Islam is and what it is. And we're, we're there, we're talking with them, we process through it all. We're not pro those things, we wanted them to see what it is. And I remember distinctly, like we're sitting in the mosque, we had some other guy who wasn't normally there, and he was just letting us ask questions the whole time. And so I kept raising my hand, and I kept getting made fun of because I was not getting called on, which does not bode well for my personality. And so we're sitting there, I'm raising my hand, I'm raising my hand, and he's like just darting around me. I think he figured out that it was irritating me, so he kept doing it, which is fine, but I'm still frustrated about it, and it's been five years now. One of the things that he kept saying repeatedly over and over again that was breaking my heart was this idea of 
you have to work to get your salvation. You have to do all of these things. You have to follow all of these rules. You have to obey all of these certain things to be considered worthy of being saved. And so he finally called on me, and I finally just asked him, I was like, how can you ever know if you're saved or if you're not saved because you're always having to do all of these things? And I'll never forget his response was, we don't. We have no idea. We work hard, we try our best, and we trust that in the end when we die, maybe, just maybe, we'll be saved. Broke my heart. That's not the gospel. And the good news of Jesus Christ, that we pray it often, is it's the finished work of the cross. That the sacrifice has been paid, past tense. We're not contributing like by, by re-sacrificing Jesus every time we do the Lord's Supper. That's not what we believe in. There's some people who believe that. That's not what we're believing in. That the sacrifice has been made, that we can trust in Jesus Christ, and that there is an assurance of salvation that we can have, that he strengthens us, that he holds us, that he keeps us, and that he will carry us through the end. Now, we will have highs and we will have lows. We will have times where we obey the Lord really well, and then we will have seasons where we flee and we run from the Lord extremely hard and extremely fast. We don't lose our salvation if we're believers. I mean, my personal belief, if you get around people my age, is what's ending up happening with us as we, we grew up, and, and, and some of us are our age, some of us are more seasoned than my age. Is that fair? Keith, is that PC? Okay. I didn't want to say old. What you see happening, and we, we were talking about it yesterday, just walking through uh, Abilene, is, is there's this idea of, is this something worth doing or not worth doing? Um, is it something that's worthy of my time? Is it something that's worthy of my finances? Is it something that's worth my attention? Or is it something that I can just kind of move on and get away from? What I think you see happening with the church right now, especially in America, is you see a whole group of people who are trying to ask this question, is this worth following? Is Christ worth it? Because for far too long we've been taught, man, especially in youth groups, eat some pizza, uh, don't drink beer, go live the best life you can live. Those are great, I love pizza as much as the next guy, but that's not going to save our soul. That's not teaching our kids something that's worth following and that's worth going after. What we need is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is telling this church here, is you straying in all sorts of these different ways. You're going in all sorts of these different places that are wrong. You've got to get back to the thing that you understand, which is the gospel is enough. Jesus is enough that he's going to hold you and he's going to strengthen you through these things. You're going to sin. You're going to struggle. Repent. Come back to Christ. But he's going to keep you through those things. Get back to the gospel. Get back to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it's in Christ that you're counted blameless. In verse 9, God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. There is not one promise of scripture that God has not or will not answer. 
the faithfulness of God, especially in the Old Testament, when you start looking at it, is this idea of God's promising that he's going to send the snake crusher, the Messiah, somebody to save his people. The faithfulness of God is this covenantal love, this never-leaving kind of love, that no matter what happens, God's there. That you can flee, that you can run, that you can obey, you can do things perfect, you can be the goody-goody-two-shoe, you can be the goody-goody-bad-shoe. Whichever side that you fall on, it's the faithfulness of God that's not going to leave. And it's by that faithfulness that we're believers in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that we're called by him. And what are we called? Into fellowship with his son. Now, we take the word fellowship and we typically mean potluck. It's an aspect of fellowship. But sometimes when we think of fellowship with Jesus Christ, we think that it means we're just kind of this passive party, like we join Jesus in this, but really it's just this kind of passive thing that we take place in. We sit, we eat a meal together, we talk about some things, we tell some funny jokes. Vince isn't, he, he gets left, so we'll, we'll listen to Vince's bad jokes, we smile and nod along, and then we just kind of go about our way. That's fellowship. Maybe your translation says partnership. That's, that's a more accurate picture of the word. It's this idea that God is faithful. That God has people in Scurry County that are lost and that he's going to save. That God has people in Ira Baptist Church that he's going to grow, that he's going to sanctify, that he's going to make more and more disciples of him. And that he's called us into this partnership with him. It's fascinating to me that when we become believers, we are not zapped up to heaven immediately. The reason why is because the Lord is not done with us. That salvation is a starting line, it's not the finish line. That when we're saved, we're saved to the Lord and we're saved to a group of people, a body of believers. And so we partner the Lord uses us. We, we're the hands and the feet now. We, we evangelize the lost. We share the gospel, not just with our words and not just with our actions, but together we share the gospel with both of those things. We work hard at loving one another. We will love one another. That's the first line of our covenant, and love is hard. It means you get close. It means you irritate each other. It means you get frustrated with one another, and it means that you stay because God is faithful, and that's the kind of love we're trying to show. We're called into that fellowship. We're called into that partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who first showed us all of those things. Listen, Michael, I thank God. That's Paul's first verb that he uses for this passage. Every other verb after that that Paul uses is talking about what God does for this church. Listen, I thank God that he has given grace to you in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I thank God that you were enriched in him, in Christ. Paul says, I thank God that your testimony was confirmed in Christ. I thank God that you do not like any gift as you wait for Jesus to come back. I thank God that he will strengthen you as you wait for the second coming of Christ. I thank God that you were called by the faithful God into a fellowship, into a partnership with Jesus Christ. All of the action that's taking place in this Thanksgiving is on God. He is the one working through all of those things. It's 
fascinating to think through and to look about in our lives as we sit together in Ira Baptist Church, as we try to minister to each other, as we try to share the gospel with the world around us, we have to remember, we must always remember that we are mere vessels for the Lord being used by God, called into partnership with the Lord, but it's God who gives the growth, it's God who does the work, and it's God who does the actions in and through us. If we can understand that, then humility comes. See, see, Paul's able to give thanks to God for the church at Corinth for the very same reasons he's grieved by them. He thanks God for the grace that's been given to them in Jesus Christ because they need a lot of grace because they've erred in a lot of ways. He's thankful that God has enriched them with all speech and all knowledge, but it's also that speech and that knowledge they've abused and misused. So on and so forth. Paul can can do this. He can give thanks to them because he understands that the problem with these believers isn't the gifts, but their attitudes towards the gifts. really what Paul is doing is he's thanking God that he hasn't stopped using these people, these fallen, these sinful people in Corinth. That he's redirecting this church's focus. Can you imagine like, oh, we got a letter from Paul. Let's read it together. Ooh. And Paul is saying, you have been gifted by God every single thing that you need. But you're self-satisfied. That you're creature-oriented as opposed to creator-oriented. That you boast in your own mere human means. Instead of boasting in Christ, you boast in what you do. That just in this little thanksgiving, Paul is reminding us, and he's reminding the Corinthians, he's he's reminding anyone who reads this passage, that our lives are meant to be God-oriented and Christ-centered, that everything is from God and given through Christ, and that Christ will come back again, that there is a second coming looming. But he doesn't just leave us to get it figured out, that he establishes believers, that he makes us blameless in his sight. For unbelievers who are here this morning, hear my plea. Everything Paul is thankful for in this church is something that God did in, with, or through the Corinthians. It's not about how great they are. And we're going to find out one of the struggles in Corinth is that they were, a, especially for the time, a wealthy church. And so they had wealthy members who wrote big tithe checks, who did big sins, but they liked the tithe checks, so they didn't ever get on to anybody. Paul says, no. That it's the Lord who works through us. That Christ is absolutely worth following. That everything else in life that we will chase after, all the desires, all the... I mean, uh, he, he passed away a little bit ago, but there's a, a, a pastor named Tim Keller who used to say in one of his books... Um, Almost every idol is not a bad thing that we make a good thing. It's a good thing that we make a God thing. 
It's what the Corinthians are struggling with and what you and I struggle with. And if you're an unbeliever, you're going to take those things and chase after them wholeheartedly. It could be any number of stuff. It could be your kids that you're going to chase after them wholeheartedly, hoping that they'll somehow fulfill your soul, and they won't. You can chase after wealth wholeheartedly, hoping that it'll somehow fulfill your soul, and it won't. You can chase after the opposite sex, hoping that they will somehow fulfill your soul, and they won't can chase after whatever it is in life and it will fail you. The only one who will ever fulfill you is Christ. He's worthy of following. So if you're an unbeliever, I would encourage you to repent from your sin, to turn to Jesus and to believe in him this morning. For believers, I think this is an important lesson for us to learn. To lean into the grace of Jesus Christ. There will be a temptation for us to think we're better than the church at Corinth. Lean into the gospel of Jesus. We are just as much sinners as they were. For believers, you are not created to do life alone. That you have been given by God's grace these gifts that are meant to be shown in the local church. To build up the body of Christ. The church needs you and you need the church. So share the gospel with one another. Seek to encourage one another. Build up the body with one another. Love one another as Christ first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, I'm grateful for a church that does love very well. For a church that seeks and strives to be gospel-centered in everything and in all that we do. God, help us as we look at this book that you've given us, as we look at this letter to the Corinthians, that you would reveal yourself to us more clearly, that you would convict us of sin and help us to repent of that sin more quickly, that we can grow in you more quickly. God, help us to learn to be grateful for all the things that you've given us in this life, that you are enough. Help us to genuinely and truly mean that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.